Black Faith and HIV, Merging Black Culture, Faith, and HIV Literacy for the Empowerment of the People. Learn more at blackfaith.org. For my brothers never had an ear to hear me. These the bricks for our sisters help us build it. If I could be a black fly on the wall, I can hear and see it all and have the mind of a god. Black, 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 black. Fly, 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 fly. Black, 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 black. All right, welcome to another episode of Black Fly on the Wall. It is live. I'm your host. I got my homegirl here with me today, my co-host, creative director, director of talent. She like all these titles, y'all. She loves the titles. <laughs> I made them up. Made she them she up. loves the titles. But Jaskel, introduce yourself. Hey, um, I'm Jaskel Creasy. I'm from the best city, Durham, North Carolina, the Bull City. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Everybody start fighting about it. Wow. The stigma. Glad, I'm glad we're here for this conversation today. We're talking about stigma. Um, always happy to be here. Um, this is very special for me because my line sister is here, Dr. <laughs> Allison Matthews. So I guess nice. that's a segue for her to introduce herself. Um, yes, I'm Dr. Allison Matthews. I'm the executive director of the Gilead Compass Faith Coordinating Center at Wake Forest University. Um, and we are here to talk about our new brand, Black Faith and HIV. So I'm excited about that. Nice. Here with my colleague, Marcus Holly. Introduce yourself, Marcus. All right. So I am Marcus Hawley. I'm the educational program manager at the Faith Coordinating Center in Winston-Salem. All right. Awesome. Awesome. I thank you all for joining <laughs> us. Um, I thank you all for also sponsoring this episode. Um, for more information, where can they find you all at, Allison? You can find us on blackfaith.org. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, TikTok, LinkedIn, all Black Faith. Nice. Uh, HIV, Black Faith HIV. Nice, nice, nice. And I think this conversation is is one that's needed. Um, it's something that we don't talk about enough. Um, I think Black Faith HIV is a um, Black Faith and HIV is something that are um, part of our community, whether we acknowledge it or not. I think um, it's essential for us to be able to have these conversations so that those are educated that need to be educated. Um, and also, too, like you know, you don't have to be HIV positive to be able to enjoy this conversation. You never know the uh, individuals that you need to have conversations with in the past and or in the future, um, colleagues, family members. Um, individuals you go to your local mosque, church with, whomever it may be. Um, I think it's, a, it's a just an essential conversation. And while doing research on this topic, like the biggest thing I noticed was just that the disproportionate numbers of the individuals who are infected um, with HIV are individuals that are black and most importantly too, black women. So I wanted to have this conversation and, and Allison, for you to share your perspective on why is the black community disproportionate um, when it comes down to HIV and AIDS? Well, I mean, I think there are many reasons, but if it, if we really want to boil it down, it gets down to systematic racism. Okay. Um, that when the when the epidemic first started, it was mostly affecting white gay men, uh, but it quickly moved into the black community largely because we don't have access to healthcare, transportation. We're insecure in our housing. We're in a lot of black women are in relationships that are dealing with intimate partner violence and domestic violence. And, um, and, and it's difficult for us to access or even talk to our doctors about, um, 
about our sex and sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the reason why we started Black Faith and HIV was we noticed, you know, the taboos to talk about sex, what really comes from a lot of things that we were taught in the church. Mm -hmm. And so we're really with our with this initiative trying to uh, circumvent and disrupt these mm -hmm. conversations yeah. and make it more open and, uh, and available for us to ha talk about what's the intersection between our spirituality, something that everybody really kind of shares and our sex and our sexuality, for right? Sure. Like how do we, how do we get faith leaders to talk about HIV in a way, or even just more general topics about relationships and, and, and sex, right? Mm -hmm. In our in our churches and in our mosques and, and synagogues in a way that is open and and affirming rather than condemning people and saying like you're going to hell. Like mm -hmm. we yeah. need to we need to change these conversations. So, you know, I think a lot of times the reasons why we are disproportionately affected by it, not only is it the the institutional racism, but it's that stigma that we hold within our communities where we're afraid to talk about these topics and a lot of it comes from our religious backgrounds. Cool. So that's that's very true. And and I think the the biggest uh, buzzword that I heard you say is the fear. You know, the fear of not being able to have these open conversations based on judgment or based on who you are in your particular uh line of faith and and your the people who you look up to and your parents and image and and all of these different perspectives that that affect us on a on a daily basis so I appreciate you diving into that um I think um Marcus what are your perspective as a black man on on the, even if you echo the sentiments of what Allison was saying on, on why our community is so disproportionate when it comes down to HIV um I think I will go back systemic racism you know, um, what even brought me to this work was the fact that we live in America, right? Uh, the wealthiest, most powerful country in the world. Mm -hmm. And um, when I was an undergrad, I just read like a statistic that was saying in Washington, D.C., like it was on par with that of a third world country. Wow. What? In the wow. richest country in the world, in our nation's capital? Wow. You know, and 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 then at that point, at, at that time, I was going back and forth to to Washington, D.C., had friends up there. And so, like, I was spending a lot of time. I knew it was Chocolate City at that time. Mm -hmm. And it was just like, so why is it that, you know, this is a f so heavily affecting, you know, Washington, D.C., and then uh, Washington, D.C. is just like this, this black mecca, mm -hmm. you know? So it really got me interested. So I would say that so much of it boils down to, to systemic racism. Um, and I think the work that we're doing at the Coordinating Center and with Black Faith um, and HIV is we're really trying to knock down a lot of those walls and those barriers that tradition has allowed to be up and like, let's be real white supremacy, mm -hmm. you know? And so, um, yeah, I think it all boils down to like this systemic racism. And I think faith is one of those, one of those things that can combat some of that um, Absolutely. stigmatization and stuff like that. I think so too, because I mean, that's what, that's our foundation. As a, as a human, right? Absolutely. Um, I think I think the most atheist person has a spiritual belief. I think Absolutely. everybody at their essence and at their core has a belief, even if it's a supreme belief of themselves and what they can achieve, that relationship and that conversation that you're having with yourself, that's you having a conversation with your creator or whoever mm -hmm. you identify as your creator. So I think finding avenues to connect with those individuals um, or to connect with individuals who have been scorned from their local mosque synagogue, church, or just people who just don't identify with a particular faith, but need the education. I think faith is a way to find, is that bridge between the faith, the person, 
and and kind of like what's on that bridge is straight up education and mm-hmm. basically filling, figuring out a way to infiltrate um, our minds. And that's why I like how you were saying that, like you all are on TikTok, you all are on Twitter. You know that you know for a fact that that is the way that people get their news. Mm-hmm. That is the way that people get their education. Like our grandmothers, <laughs> probably moms, at five o'clock. The news is on, yes. yeah. and they watching they they our they watching they, they our patients our patients they watching their favorite news reporter. Yeah. They watching it before they go to work. They watching mm-hmm. it when they get home. Absolutely. That's their avenue of mm-hmm. of of finding out what's going on in their community. Versus us, it's right here on our phone. And mm-hmm. so finding uh, making sure that we connect um, with individuals through that is 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 essentially key. I was going to say too is what. Scale, and I was going to ask you, what has been, you know, as with you working in healthcare um, and, and and progressing through that field, what have been your experiences with HIV? Yeah, um, so I work in physical therapy, and a lot of my patients who are HIV positive are black men, mm-hmm. and. Um, you know, it's jarring sometimes because I'm, you know, I'm a black woman. You just naturally want to gravitate towards your people and like help your people. But, um, sometimes, especially when they were, uh, gay, homosexual, like it almost was like, they seem like, oh, well, like this is, this is something that happens. And I'm like, why do we feel like this is something that happens and it's supposed to happen and it's okay. I don't know if it's because of the availability of um, drugs and medicine now, but um, I just want to know y'all's thoughts. Like, why does it seem like, you know, I know at one point we were scared and it seems like that they're like, you know, when it not, it will it happen, but when it happened Mm -hmm. attitude. Yeah. Yeah, I've experienced that as well. I, I think some of it has to do with the messaging that we have, like, because we keep saying it's so prevalent in the black community that it's just, and not just HIV, but like every health condition, we are just like blacks die from heart disease, from diabetes, from cancer, from Mm -hmm. HIV, from everything. Right. And so it's like, well, we're just, we're just going to get it. It's just like, we, we can't avoid it, but actually it is avoidable. I was just <laughs> listening to a book, uh, uh, you know, this morning talking about how like all of these health conditions are preventable Absolutely. and it's, Absolutely. and we, we take it for granted. We just think as you age, you're going to get sick and you don't have to be sick. Right. It's really about us taking care of our bodies. Mm-hmm. And I think also, you know, within the, I guess the black gay community, I think there's also this, um, because there's more medication available and people are living longer, it's no longer a death sentence, which, which is a great message, right? We Mm -hmm. want to tell people that, but also I think it needs to be communicated that, you know, the medication also has impacts on your, Mm -hmm. on your body. Right. Mm -hmm. And it affects your kidneys and things like Mm -hmm. that. So, and it affects your bone density and, and brain functioning. So we, if you can avoid it, let's prevent it, you know? So that's why I think it's important to have these conversations. What you said is key is because I mean, like, Eating one piece of chicken isn't may not hurt you, or eating one piece of steak may not hurt you, but doing that over an extended period mm-hmm. of time, an extended period of years, has its ramifications. Right. And so, um, I think what you said was major because now, and I have I empathize with what Jaskel was saying because that's been my same experience working in the hospital. It's like you 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 go into and you go and do their evaluation, and they recently just found out that they were recently diagnosed with HIV, and it's kind of like, you know. Kind of like they almost expected it to yeah. happen. It was almost like them awaiting for mm-hmm. for this news. And the fact that there is better medication, people don't see it as, oh, the end-all, be-all. Mm-hmm. Whereas 30 years ago, right. that was the case. Um, and I think um, 
that also plays a role in the conversations we have about pharma and mm-hmm. and also wellness, mm-hmm. right? Because wellness is being proactive right. in your health. It's, right. it's being knowing, okay, I need to either abstain or use protection or be mindful of who I have sex with or not have multiple sex partners at one time, mm-hmm. get tested on a regular basis. All of those things related to that. Or also, so it's also you have to put into work yeah. to do mm-hmm. that versus just using a pill to be your solution. So um, I was going to talk to you about the marketing that you all have seen over the years when it comes down to this, um, to HIV and AIDS, because I'm also seeing now that there's a pill that you can take beforehand. Mm-hmm. Like if you are a woman, I think it's for women, right? You can take well, it's, it's for, for both. anybody. It's for anybody. men and women. Yeah. Yeah. So you can take this pill. What is to explain what it is? So it's an HIV prevention pill okay. um, that you can take. It's a daily pill to prevent people from getting HIV. It's actually one half of an HIV drug. So it basically stops the HIV virus from infecting the immune system okay. and replicating in the body. Okay. So people could take it daily. Um, for women, you have to take it up to 30 days in order to get protection. For men, it's about seven days. Okay. Um, and, you know, it's it's up to 99% effective wow. with, with perfect use. So wow. it's really a, a groundbreaking medication. The challenge is access, right? I think, mm-hmm. and you mentioned something else about like safe <clears throat> sex and condoms and things like that. And I want to make the point also that like black people don't have any different kind of sex than mm-hmm. any other group of people <laughs> around the world. Right. But, and so I, back to our point again about like, why do black people have higher prevalence of HIV? It's not because of our sexual behaviors. Mm-hmm. We're oftentimes like saying, Oh, you're being promiscuous. That's why you got it. It's like, like no, actually we're not doing anything different than anyone else. Mm-hmm. A lot of times it's because of the risk factors, the, uh, the social determinants of health, if you will, like the, the employment, education, housing, those kinds of things that make it harder for us to get the medications, get the prevention medications. Mm-hmm. Um, white men are, are more likely to get those medications than we are mm-hmm. because they have health care and they have doctors, mm-hmm. you know, and they have income. So I mean, and I think too, they like, say that about most diseases. It's yeah. like when, for example, when COVID first happened, um, you know, it was it switched to, you know, when the black community started getting it, oh, it's because they smoke and drink. And it's like, wait, mm-hmm. no, it's not. It's because of the same exact reasons that anybody <laughs> right, else exactly. gets. Right. Close proximity to somebody right. who actually has a disease too. So it's like not only, um, I think the messaging too is put out there that like because of uh, these certain behaviors that, you know, that's why black people are this. I mean, even when it comes to finances, it's because all they do is buy this, that, and the third. It's like, no, it's not. It's because of the education, the access, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's whenever it's something negative, it's always um, because of our behaviors, mm-hmm. which are not different than other um, groups' behaviors, that that's why we are in the position that we're in. And it's really right. not. It's the systemic racism and right. things like that. Yeah, yeah. Our, our white counterparts spend their money is the same way we spend ours. Exactly. It's just all about what we spend it on. You know, yeah. we buy a uh, $3,000 Louis Vuitton bag. They buy $3,000. Yeah. <laughs> we buy a $3,000 Louis Vuitton bag. They buy a $3,000 bike rack. $3,000 exactly. is $3,000. Yeah. It's all yeah. about where you spend your money and, and, and how it aligns with you. I would like to make this note real quick. So it's the, the medicine that you all are talking about um, to prevent HIV is, is called, is, is a pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP, but there's, I think, generic brands out now. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But the one thing that I will say is it prevents HIV. It doesn't prevent other STIs. So you can still get pregnant. (laughs) You can still, you know, contract other STIs or STDs Mm -hmm. or whatnot. So, I mean, just keep that in mind. And with any medication, it has its side effects, you know. And so those are things that, again, you have to constantly, you're you're going in for a checkup, I believe, um, like every three months Mm -hmm. if you're taking this medication just to make sure that, like, you know, the side effects or whatnot are, are are not affecting too much of your, like, different organs in your body. Yeah. It's a great medication. Don't get me wrong. But, of course, like, any pharmaceutical, yeah. they're going to have, you it's know, good. some side effects. Yeah, so. I, I, I have medicine? to. <clears throat> Go ahead. You go ahead. <laughs> is this medicine for um, people who have a partner that's infected? Or is it just, you know, I just want to make sure that I'm just as safe as I can be and I should take this medicine? Uh, yeah, they typically um, suggest that people who have partners living with HIV should take it. But also, you know, there's um, been quite overwhelming evidence showing that people living with HIV who take their medication um, consistently and reach an undetectable viral load will not pass it on to the partner, even without condom. So it's just kind of an extra protection. Okay. But and you know you can't always depend on someone to be undetectable all the time. Sometimes you may miss a pill or whatever. So I think that's another way for you. But you know condoms work as well. <laughs> right. So it's yeah. not you know it's right. just trying to add more <clears throat> tools to the toolbox. Black faith and HIV merging black culture faith and HIV literacy for the empowerment of the people. Learn more at blackfaith.org. I wonder if there is a higher proportionate of people who take the medication, unmarried, single, Mm -hmm. right, who take the medication but don't use protection. Because yeah. a lot of times the (laughs) biggest issue in our the biggest issue in our community is that we don't like using condoms. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are prisoners of the moment. Mm-hmm. So prisoners of mm-hmm. if feeling good, prisoner of just not being responsible in that moment. Like even as a young man, like I go into it, like my uncle was the person in my life that really, really pushed protection mm-hmm. on me, really, really pushed men's health That's on dope. me, really, really pushed every single day. I can hear it in the back of my mind now. Even when I was in situations as a younger man where I could have made, went down, went right, or what it could have went left, I thought about him and the education that he provided me, right? So, like, that is the reason why I was able to make it to 31, 32 years old and still now without having any babies, not having any major STIs, STDs, all these other things going on is because I had, like, an accountability partner who was consistently educating and checking in on me and making sure I handle my business. And so I think that is a major thing within our community as well, too, is like even beyond the access to healthcare and the um, unemployment and all these other things, I think also, too, prior, you know, black people have always been disproportionate when it comes down to employment and healthcare mm-hmm. access. But one thing that we've always been able to do is bond together as family and as friends and that the, the really the saying of it takes a village is a key because like even though my father wasn't in my life at that particular moment, my uncle stepped in and made it his duty to provide me with the education that I needed. Right. So I think also, too, that is very, very essential is to make sure that this conversation is open within your family. Right. Mm-hmm. To be able to have conversations about sex, about marriage, about future, about dating, about relationships, about any single thing that 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 you really encounter as a, as a human being. That's so important. And I think probably rare 
Mm-hmm. Uh, because oh, yeah, yeah, I mean, in my family and I'm sure many other families, it was we just didn't talk about sex. Mm-hmm. Or if it was, it was like, don't get pregnant. What is the genesis pregnant. of that? Why why don't black families talk about sex? Whereas you can have a friend that is not black, and they mm-hmm. come to you talking to school about what their parents talked told right. them about sex, and 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 because <laughs> I experienced it, I experienced it for the first time when I was about seven years old. When I was, I had a, I had a wow. white friend that lived across the street from me. I'm at his house, and his parents. He made a comment, and his parents gave him a quick, like, two or three minute conversation about sex, mm-hmm. and he freely spoke about sex. So, what is it about our community that makes it a challenge to talk about sex? What is it? I was so I'll I'll throw this in real quick. Like, I just think across, like, in the whole United States, like. It's just a very taboo topic, right? So what I found is I haven't traveled as much as other people, but in my travels and then just from from learning and reading other material, like they talk about sex mm-hmm. more openly, whereas with us, it is it's more taboo and it's more like hidden and there's like this shame with it, right? But and we I, got a whole bunch of kids. We got a whole well, bunch of kids, <laughs> but I'm saying I think that's where church comes in uh-huh. too. And, the modesty. Uh, right. And so there's yeah. this like, well, we can't talk about this. When you talk about like Everything the else. different sins or whatever, you hear the same ones all the time. And like you talk about drinking, you'll talk about drugs. You may mention sex, but like that's like it's just all a sin. So just right. don't do it. And right. that is the like the gist of the conversation. Just don't do it. Mm hmm. But my friends are talking about it. I'm on TikTok. I'm on, on Instagram. And, and I'm seeing this all the time. <laughs> why, why, like, not? Why? Right. Well, yeah. it's also respectability <laughs> politics. I don't know if y'all have heard that, but it's like oh, absolutely. Uh, very much like black people should avoid any stereotypes attached to mm-hmm. us where, you know, during slavery, it was like the woman is a hypersexual woman and she is, um, you know, a temptation to the white man. And so she should um, diminish herself. Right. And the same for black men, that they're the bucks, they're the sexual prowess. They're going to rape white women. Right. And so we've been characterized as dangerous sexual beings or mm-hmm. beings to be taken advantage of. And so in order to contrast that, uh, we have internalized a lot of religious messages that say we're, you know, we want to conform to what the ideal in society is so that we can move up in society. Mm. And so a lot of times the religious messages have been, um, I would even say distorted because what's beautiful about being the divinity school is that we've been doing a lot of sacred text study with scholars who, who understand the historical context, the original Hebrew and the Mm. original Aramaic. And they're like, there was premarital sex, there was polygamy, there was rape, there was all of these things in the Bible and it was not condemned, right? Mm-hmm. And so we have distorted those messages along the, along the t- time um, to, to satisfy the power dynamics <clears throat> and to justify um, oppression. Yes. So we have to, now is our opportunity it's as millennials and Gen mm-hmm. Z yeah. to like, to buck that system. Yeah, that's why I'm a a true proponent of like enlightenment and and Mm -hmm. going on the journey of enlightenment. I think, um, I think structured religion is one of the biggest detriments to our community. I think, um, I think it's important for us to be able to study and understand knowledge of self, Mm -hmm. um, to understand, to be able to, to draw back a lot of those things that have been placed on us by religious systems, right? Because they're not, 
they're not the true essence of who we are as self. These are systems that were placed upon us. An example would be the Roman Catholic Church. A lot of the things that happen now and a lot of the, the pillars of Christianity are, were created by the Roman Catholic Church, mm -hmm. which are not for us. Mm -hmm. And when I say us, black culture. So a lot of these things are not for black culture, which is why we have an issue with um, kind of like going against the grain where the math ain't mathing, right? <laughs> so it's like the book says this, this is what we see at home, this is what we see at church, this is what we see at school, but you're putting this great um, responsibility on me to not sin, but you're also you're also not telling me that I'm also living with grace and I'm also mm -hmm. a human being yes, and I'm also, um, you know, mm -hmm. all of these different things. Yeah. And so like actually it's almost like mind trippy and it's a psychological game it when it comes down to because you're telling me to believe in this book in a certain interpretation of this book and to follow this book by its code. But I'm seeing another thing in my house mm -hmm. and I'm seeing another thing within my mosque mm -hmm. or my synagogue or my church that doesn't really makes sense, right? So like a from a from a young person's perspective whose mind isn't fully developed, that's very very challenging mm -hmm. for them to combat, right? And so I think that plays a major proponent into like the distrust and the in the anxiety mm -hmm. around the education of HIV and AIDS, right. right? Like for example, I think we we mentioned I mentioned to you offset is like we understand that Tuskegee experiment existed, mm -hmm. right? The the administering of syphilis to the black community, right? So like as as an individual, when you learned about the Tuskegee experiment, and then you also are dealing with HIV, maybe let's say 40, 50 years ago, when it was really blossoming and spreading through our community, if we have this issue with government control and the impact mm -hmm. of what the government did to our community, right? right? Like how can we also put it to the side that we learned about how they administered syphilis, but there's also rumors of how they administered AIDS. Mm -hmm. So like how, what do you all recommend when it comes down to the psychological battle between government and the black community? Well, I mean, full disclosure, I work with government. I work with pharmaceutical yeah, companies. And so, you know, I think my approach to that work has been, um, creating opportunities for black people to voice those concerns and, and to, to be at the table, the decision-making table mm -hmm. to, um, shape how the future of clinical trials, how prevention, how all of those things are rolled out, mm -hmm. um, so that we can benefit from it and it's created for us and to make sure that we are training, you know, the next leaders so that they're the ones who are getting the funding to, to do the work. Yeah. Cause it's, it's a challenge because like, if you, it's just like being in a relationship that has mistrust. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you consistently experience mistrust, how can you all of a sudden trust a system that has historically shown you mistrust? Yeah. Like right. that's a genuine issue conversation in barbershops and salons. Example, um, I, I did some, um, I'm on the board at Duke University and prep is one of their main um, things that they're doing mm -hmm. when it comes down to their research, right? And the biggest thing with prep and women, black women is mistrust. Mm -hmm. Mistrust of healthcare systems, mistrust of government. Another another example would be um, the war on drugs, right? We understand that the government dropped drugs off in the community into the community, mm -hmm. right? So it's yeah. like you got two major issues: the Tuskegee experiment, war on drugs, of two things that have directly impacted our community. But then the solutions are coming from 
the same, same entity yep. that has initiated yeah, the problem. Real. Yeah. Which, right. that's, a real, that's a real thing. And supporting black-led institutions to do that work rather than just depending yep. on the yeah. government. Correct. I think and, you know, a big problem with America, period, is that we don't rectify the sins of the past. It's Correct. like, why exactly. are you not listening to Just us? move on. Right. Right. Like, we give you some grand because funding. Because yeah. we, yeah. we have some major things to point at that like, like, we, yeah. we, we don't want to listen to you guys. Yeah. Right. And I mean, even things like, you know, and also it's our fault. Like they make it seem like it's mm. our fault while yeah. we're not doing these mm -hmm. things instead of, like I said, rectifying the sins of the past. Like, yeah. hey, like, can we talk about why black people are distrustful of the government, of medicine, of healthcare. And then we, you know, I don't say apologize, but like we talk about, like we really take ownership of what we did mm -hmm. to the black community. And then we start moving forward, but right. it's like, here go the solution. And they're wondering why we don't want the solution. It's like, uh, well, yeah, I don't know. You, They really had to get some prominent black people up here. And it's just like, no, it's still not enough. Right. Mm -hmm. We still have to have a real conversation where somebody says, it is our fault. We're wrong. We know what we did. and But here goes... Now we can apologize. Now steps. we can move forward. Right, right. Just reparations come in different forms. If you get cheated on in a relationship, the reparation is that person apologizing, mm -hmm. showing good faith, doing actionable items, i.e. going to therapy, i.e. Mm -hmm. providing you with anything you need to have peace of mind to be able to move forward and have a trustworthy relationship. The U.S. government needs to pay reparations. <laughs> yeah. And it's not always in the form of money, right? right. It's in the form of showing and improving in trust. And so, mm -hmm. like, it's essential. We can't move forward when it comes down to um, things that are relatable and, and a major issue. Tuskegee, war on drugs, HIV, whatever it may be. Henrietta Lacks. Uh, Henrietta Lacks. I mean, police brutality. Mm -hmm. um, you got Philando Castile. You, I mean, you go down the line. Even when it comes down to police reform, there has to be reparations before there's any type of reform. Absolutely. And that comes in the topic of a conversation. And then these are actionable items that we're going to check off moving forward right? right so like one last question before we go Alice I want to talk to you about um, the biggest one of the biggest questions I found during research is if we have millions and billions of dollars going into HIV research AIDS research why isn't there a cure mm. oh <laughs> well first I want to address the first part of what you were saying about putting reparations um, mm. though the Gilead Sciences that we work with, who's funded our center, actually is the largest funder of black-led organizations in the country, awesome. if not in the world. Awesome. So they could do more. We always know that. But there, you know, there are examples of that happening. Mm -hmm. I think it's just it needs to be way, way more widespread. Way more yeah. institutions need to do that. Um, I think I the other part of why there's not a cure, um, HIV is a very uh, complicated virus. It, it, when it infects an immune system cell, it actually replicates within the body. So every single time it replicates, it mutates. And mm. so, you know, think about like we have all these new strands of COVID and mm -hmm. it takes maybe a few months for mm -hmm. it to come out. Every single time it infects a new immune cell, it mutates. Wow. So it inside creates one body. inside mm -hmm. the body. Yeah. And so it creates a very difficult uh, way for it to create a vaccine or any kind of cure that um, that could recognize all the different mutations mm -hmm. in the body. So what they have done, we actually have five people who have been to cure 
declared cured of HIV. I'm actually the co-founder of HIV Cure Research Day, which nice. is December 14th. And um, Timothy Ray Brown was the first person cured of HIV. Um, and they what they've done is they've identified a genetic mutation um, that where someone's bone um, bone marrow, their stem cells, is naturally resistant to HIV. Okay. And so they've been able to um, get donors, stem cell donors, um, from a certain population. Of course, it's in Northern Europe. But a certain population of people who are resistant to HIV and then use that to um, infuse into people after they have undergone uh, chemotherapy. And so once they are giving that stem cell transplant, it actually creates an immune response that teaches the immune system to fight off HIV. Unfortunately, that is not something that is replicable for the almost 40 million people around the world. It's Mm -hmm. it's very invasive, dangerous. And so they're working on different ways to replicate that in a way that is not as dangerous for people, but Mm -hmm. they are making significant progress. Um, So that to say, we don't have a widespread cure, but we actually have made quite a bit of progress in advancing our understanding of how to cure HIV. And also, I think it's important, a lot of people say, like, if they could do a vaccine for COVID, why they couldn't do it for HIV? Actually, a lot of the COVID research was informed by HIV research. A lot of the COVID researchers, the people who developed the vaccines, were HIV researchers. They borrowed a lot of the, all of the work we've been doing, all the clinical trials, all the research has informed and shaped the science that we have now for, um, you know, for mRNA and all of those, you know, mm-hmm. the, the kind of different technologies that we have today. Okay. Yeah. And I did want to add this last little bit and, and it, because you mentioned clinical trials. I know we were talking a bit about clinical trials, like, offset. Like, the thing is, like, we talked about having, like, black institutions, but I think what's important is because, you know, we are so uh, stigmatized by so many of the things that happened in the past with healthcare within the country, like, we need exposure. And so, like, black people being a part of these clinical trials is actually very important. Like, genetically... There's not much difference, but there are differences how medication affects us and compared to like white folks or other people, you know, other ethnicity. You can't, can't want to sit at the table without sitting in the seat. Right. right. So you, <laughs> exactly. your voice, you need to be you there. Sit in the seat. You, right. you have to be there. And so that's one thing that I would definitely push. Like if it's HIV clinical trials or any other kind of clinical mm-hmm. trials, you know, I hate sitting in a conference and like literally public health conference and we're at the bottom of everything. It's right. discouraging. Right. Yeah. You know? Right. And you, know, you mentioned five people were cured. Were any of them black? Uh, yes. Yeah. Uh, the Esperanza yeah. patient, they haven't released her name yet, but she is of African descent. Okay. Yeah. Good. Yeah. Good. And Good. one Hispanic person as And well. yeah. the second nice. question, is there a difference between being having viral loads that are undetectable and mm. you being cured? Uh, that's a good, a good question. question. So we actually <laughs> you, you call it. That, that, yeah, that, that no, that's a great question. I love that question. That. It's uh, what we would call a functional cure at this point, where okay. your your undetectable viral load, you're living a, a normal lifespan. You're okay. not passing on the virus to anyone. So if you and now they're at the point where they're. They have injectables where you could take an injectable like every two months. Mm-hmm. So you're not taking a pill a day anymore, right? So in a way, yeah, it is a functional cure. Okay, good, it's good, a, good. It's a campaign called You Equals You. Yes, yeah. undetectable equals untransmissible. Nice, yeah. nice. So like this is what we're doing with BFH is trying to get faith leaders to learn more about this stuff. Um, you know, even talking about like how do we 
pull out examples from the Bible and historical context and then and then better understand like how we've been uh, colonized to think about uh, sex and sexuality in a certain way. Mm -hmm. All of these different tools are trying to work to give faith communities so that we are no longer perpetuating that stigma within our For sure. Our I communities. think you need to meet people where they at. Yeah. yeah like I the best. want to add one thing because I, I know you're about to close, but like I do want to commend you guys. Like you said, you guys are on TikTok. You guys are on Instagram, things like that. And I wish we had like our shows, like our different worlds and stuff like that, where they would address these black issues. So where you couldn't go to your parents, you couldn't go to the church, you could watch it in real time and kind of see how to navigate through that. So I want to thank you guys so much. Yeah, thank you for the they work also, you're doing. Also, um, all the time I get surveys, and of course, you know, I got to support my line sister, but they give surveys and stuff like how can we better reach our generation? How can we better reach the community? And I think that is pivotal to always want to be in the forefront of figuring out the different type of avenues that we can um, to reach people and teach them about HIV. Absolutely. Absolutely. You all are doing amazing work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for supporting us. Um, any way that Black Flannel Wall can be there for you all. Absolutely. Pick up the phone and call. We'll make it happen. Um, I think it's critical, um, just to wrap things up, I think it's critical um, for us to be involved, right? Be involved, mm -hmm. like you said, in the research, be involved in the surveys, be involved in the conversations. Um, and the biggest place you can be involved in is your own ecosystem, mm -hmm. right? So, or your friends, fraternity, yes. sorority, yes. Yeah. Um, you know, yes. however, however you can get active, get active, mm -hmm. um, get active, get boots on the ground and really, really start making an impact. And having conversations like this is, is, is major key. I also want to add that uh, the Faith Coordinating Center gives out funding to okay. organizations, faith-based organizations, nonprofits who are interested in doing this work. We are about to release our next um, request for proposals. So nice. funding ranges between $25,000 to $100,000. So okay. we're really putting money directly into uh, black and brown communities. We love it, man. We thank love you. it. We thank love you. it. Thank, thank you for the work you. you're doing. Thank you for making an impact. Yeah, we and, appreciate um, you guys. Cheers to another episode of Black Flounder While Black Faith and HIV. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Our brothers never had an ear to hear them. These the bricks for our sisters help us build them. If I could be a black fly on the wall, I can hear and see it all and have the mind of a god. Black, 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 black. Fly, 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 fly. Black, black, black.